for your notes today, I want to talk to you about this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And you know, this morning when I woke up, I was very convicted that I did not make it personal and say, Jesus loves me. So if you want to write the word me on your handout, you can totally do that. Now, I think all of us in here, regardless of our background, I think we all can kind of believe that God loves us whenever we think we're doing everything right. And we know God loves us whenever we're making good choices. And we know God loves us when we come to church and give in the offering and we're treating people well, which just as a side note, we're never, ever doing everything right, just so you know. But anyway, we think God loves us then. It's hard for us to believe that God loves us just the same, exactly the same when we're living in sin. Or God loves us just the same when we're completely giving in to temptation. God loves us just the same When we have turned our back on him, spitting in his face, we don't believe. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around him loving us, whether we're doing things right or we're doing things wrong. Now, I told you it's going to be an easy sermon. You know, a little cake sermon will be okay. But I do need just two minutes of some deep theological stuff real quick. You think, well, if God loves us, why did he create hell? If he loves us so much. Listen, he didn't create hell for you. In fact, John 14 says he created heaven for you. Matthew 25, 41 says hell was created for the devil and his angels. Well, if God loves us, then why does he send people to hell? God has never sent one human being to hell, ever. We send ourselves there. In fact, um, after you die, God doesn't decide heaven or hell. You get to decide heaven or hell while you're on earth. He doesn't decide that. You get to decide that. Well, if he loves us, why does he even give us a choice? Why not just make us go to heaven? Because that means you would be a computer and you'd never be able to love. The only way you can experience love is to have a free will where you can choose not to love. You'll never know love unless you can choose to hate. That's why love is so beautiful because it's a choice. If we were a computer and we just programmed to go to heaven, heaven wouldn't even be great for you because you're a computer. You can't experience love. You can't experience making choices. The free will allows us to do that. John 3.16 says, God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know that Christianity is the most inclusive group on planet earth. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, actually... I, I think all of you know this, but to go to a bar and drink in a nightclub, you got to be 21 years old. They're not inclusive. They don't allow everybody there. Well, we're okay with that. Um, to to uh, teach in a school, you have to have a degree. They're not inclusive. They don't let anybody teach. You have to have a degree. We're okay with that. Um, to go to college, you have to have money to pay for it or a scholarship. You can't just walk in and take They're not inclusive. But do you know you can't get more inclusive than the word whosoever? Anybody who wants to believe and go to heaven can do so. Homosexuals, yep, they can believe. They're in the whosoever. Nazis, they're in the whosoever. Northerners. (laughs) And Southerners, calm yourself. They're in the whosoever. Anybody who wants to believe can believe. And I just want you to know this, too, before we get into our little cake stuff. um, Christianity is not a religion, by the way. Every religion on planet Earth is about what you have to do to get to God or nirvana or heaven or whatever it is. Christianity is all about what a perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing God did to get to you. It, it, It can't be any simpler than believe. Now, once you believe, he'll change your life, and things will change on the inside, and, the, and all that. But you can't get any more inclusive, you can't get any more beautiful than everything that was done 
to get to you. So in my three points, I want to tell you the Easter story through the eyes of three different characters in the Bible. So if you're ready for point number one, say, oh yeah. yeah. Point number one, Jesus loves sinners. And we're going to talk about Mary. He loves sinners. In Luke chapter 7, this woman named Mary, she finds Jesus. She believes he's the Messiah. And she starts crying on the ground. And she notices her tears are falling onto his feet. So she takes her hair and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. The Bible describes Mary in Luke 7, 39 as a notorious wicked sinner. Now the Bible does not exaggerate up or down. And so she wasn't just a sinner like us. She wasn't just a wicked sinner like some of us. She was a notorious wicked sinner. The only other time I've ever heard the word notorious is referring to B.I.G. Other than that, I've never... I knew the 11 o'clock would have more people that got that. Anyway, and Wu-Tang. And so she was a notorious wicked sinner. She was a prostitute, not just a regular prostitute, but she let people do horrible things with her body, like the, the most horrible you could ever imagine. When this has taken place and she's washing the feet of Jesus, the religious people, everybody say religious. religious. The religious people started complaining. It blows my mind that religious people are the biggest complainers. And the religious people are the ones that complain about sinners and about things that involve Jesus. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, we've had atheists that have come to this church and they give us great reviews on Google. Do you know who gives bad reviews about churches on Google? Christians! Christians! <laughs> do, you, do you see the, the, uh, the irony in the people who complain for the whole world to see about churches? Churches! <laughs> Are the Christians? I had a, a Buddhist friend. Uh, I have a Buddhist friend. He's he's gay. He's married to a man. He came to church here one Sunday. I've been trying to get him to come to church because the one Sunday he happens to show up is the Sunday I'm preaching on marriage. He sits through the whole entire sermon, loves it. He leaves. He says, "Oh, I had a good time. Thank you. I see him every. I see him twice a week. We're still friends, you know. And and yet I've preached my heart out to Christians, and the Christians will find one little thing they don't like and tell twelve people about it and complain for weeks. Blows my mind, because a lot of times it's the religious people that like to get in other people's business." You know, I have tattoos on my hand of scriptures, and I'm probably going to get another one this week of 1 Thessalonians 4.11. It says, mind your own business. <laughs> what a great scripture for religious people, right? <laughs> Just, I need a word from the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, mind your own business. That came straight from God, straight from God. So they're complaining, if Jesus knew what this woman did, he wouldn't let her touch him. Let me say it this way, if he knew about her sin, he wouldn't let her sing on stage. If he knew about her sin, he wouldn't let her teach Sunday school. If he knew about her sin, he wouldn't let her be used in this great way. And so Jesus responded to everybody in the room with a question in verse 41. He said, two people owe this money lender some money. One owes 500 denarii, one owes 50. The lender forgives both debts. Who's going to love more? Who's going to be more excited? Who's going to be more grateful for what was forgiven. And everybody said, well, the one with the most money forgiven, duh. Jesus likes to do the bait and switch, you know. He looks at him in verse 47. He said, you're right. Though her sins be many, they're now forgiven. In other words, the more sin, the more love. The more sin, the more of a position you're in to receive more love. You'd think if God poured his love out in this place today, it would go to the religious people. Oh, you're so faithful. Here's a bunch of love. He's looking for the people with the most sin so he can pour out the most love so they can be the most grateful. 
You know, uh, years later when Jesus died, the first person that was told of this most historic event was not a pastor. The first person God chose to tell, the first evangelist to have the gospel in the universe was not an elder of a church. It was Mary. She seemed like such an unusual choice. She was a prostitute. She was a social outcast. In Mark 69, when he rose on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. Do you know that love is the greatest motivator for change? You want people to change? Let's tell them what they're doing wrong. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want people to change? Let's make them feel guilty. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Love is the motivator we're looking for. You know, we, we think that guilt is a good motivator, right? Tell them what they're doing wrong. So let me ask you a question. When you learned about the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not. Don't do this. You should feel bad if you don't. After you learned, thou shalt not lie. From that point on, none of you ever lied again, right? That just completely changed your life when you realized that lying is wrong. Is that your testimony? No. So then we think, well, maybe um, fear is a good motivator. Let's tell them they're going to hell. Right? You're going to burn in hell if you don't do this. Now, fear can motivate you a little bit, but by far, love, greater love hath no man than this, than when someone lays his life down for his friend. Amen. You find out somebody died for you, that kind of love, when you experience that, that'll change you. When you really believe that someone gave their life for you, that'll change what you're doing in life. Um, I saw this video of this museum, and the, the curator, she got this new artifact in, and she wasn't supposed to put it out because the glass container had not yet come but all these university kids were coming in. She wanted them to see it, so she put it out. Just put ropes around it, and the sign said, do not touch, right? Thou shalt not. In other words, do not do this. It's wrong. You should feel guilty. Don't, don't touch it. Every single kid that walked through touched it, every one of them. So here's what she did the next day. She changed the sign, and it said, as soon as you touch this, wash your hands immediately. <laughs> Nobody touched it after that. They were afraid. They didn't want to do it, okay? Fear can do stuff, but, but love is by far the greatest. So uh, before I get to point number two, I want to give you an illustration on how much Jesus loves you for you to receive it. It's going to be a linguistic illustration, so you're going to have to use your mind a little bit and stay with me. When we speak in our English language, we speak words one of three ways, either univocally, equivocally, or analogically. When we speak univocally, it's because we're using a word and it means the same thing in each sentence. If I say, I love you, and I say, our administrative pastor loves you, it's the exact same word, love, and it means the same thing in both sentences. Then we speak equivocally. That's where we use the same word, but it means two different things depending on the sentence. If I say, I love my children, and I say, I love hot dogs, I don't love children the same way I love hot dogs. It's completely different love. Do you understand so far? Um, if, if you leave church today and you're flying out of town somewhere and you're thinking, you know, I went to that church, it was a good service, and that pastor sure is handsome. You got the word handsome. You're on the plane and all of a sudden Brad Pitt comes and sits next to you. And you say, are you Brad Pitt? He says, yes, yes, I am. Uh, weren't you the sexiest man alive? If you, yes, 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 I was. If you look at him and say, well, if you think you're handsome, you should see my pastor in Myrtle Beach, Okay. <laughs> Same word, it does not mean the same thing when it's referring to Brad Pitt versus, all right, Brad Pitt has nothing on me. And so analogically, 
The only way to explain how much God loves you is analogically. It's where you take a word and it actually means something deeper and higher. And I'm limited to my vocabulary to the point where I cannot actually explain truly how much Jesus loves you. But I'm going to try to do it. Okay, I'm going to try. When I say I love you and you reject my love, it hurts me because I've lost something. I want you and you walk and it hurts me you're not receiving my love you don't want me you don't want to come to church or you don't like me whatever and it just hurts my feelings when God says I love you and you reject his love he hurts but here's why he hurts because he knows you've lost something it's a completely unselfish love he knows when you reject his love You're missing out, and he loves you so much that it hurts him, and he doesn't want you to miss out. There are two times that Jesus wept in the scriptures. One, of course, the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, 35, is referring to when Lazarus died. Jesus did not weep when Lazarus died because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus wept when he saw the pain of Mary and Martha because they had lost Lazarus. He saw their pain of what they lost, And it hurt him and he began to weep. The only other time Jesus wept was the last time he entered into Jerusalem. And it's because that generation had rejected him as Messiah. John, I mean Luke 19, 41 through 44 says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept. All because you did not recognize the time of your visitation in which God showed himself gracious toward you and offered you the free gift of salvation. It is your choice, but if you reject his love, he will hurt because he knows you're going to lose everything. And you're going to have a chance today to receive it. He knows if you don't, there's a, there's a possibility, and he's going to hurt because you could lose it all. Now listen, let's say that I'm wrong about all this, okay? You haven't lost anything. Let's say I'm right about all this. You've lost all of eternity forever and that's going to hurt God if you reject that point number two is this Jesus loves failures Peter uh anybody watch the chosen listen I think you know I'm a, I'm a movie buff and all and um I think every Christian production they ever made just sucks eggs right except for the passion of Christ and the chosen it is the best Christian thing out there I encourage all of you to watch it over and over again read the gospels watch it read the gospels watch it and so Peter's my guy let me ask this do any of y'all know anybody who has a problem with always putting their foot in their mouth and offending people (laughs) you know anybody that tries their best to just say the right thing and somehow they always end up saying the wrong thing They love Jesus, they try to be a good pastor, but for some reason, everything out of their mouth, they always leave thinking, I can't believe I said that. Do you know anybody like that at all? Okay, so I relate very well to Peter, right? I love Jesus, but man, do I just keep failing in the area of my mouth and other areas as well. So I want to, before I get to my main story on Peter, I wanted to just kind of, if you don't know the Gospels or you don't know Peter, I want you to kind of see what type of problems he has in life, okay? So stay with me as I read a bunch of stories. Um, Jesus is walking on the water to his disciples. In Matthew 14, 27, Jesus said, It is I, Peter said, if it's you. Well, I just said it's I, Peter. I just said it's I. 
Well, if it's you, okay, we'll stay, okay, stay with Matthew 15, 15. Peter said, explain this to us, Jesus. Jesus said, are you still so dull? <laughs> Peter, I've told you a hundred times what this means. Do you still not get it? Okay, Matthew 16, uh, 21. Jesus showed his disciples he must be killed and raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and rebuked the Son of God. You got to be pretty arrogant to open up your mouth and to pull God aside and say, I need to talk to you about something you've been doing wrong. I can, I can picture Peter, listen, because he's just like me. I can picture him saying, listen, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. But these other people, they're offended by what you've been doing. You really need to, you know, pay attention to what you're doing to them. <laughs> this will never happen to you. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm sure Peter thought after that day, you know what? I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm zipping it up. I'm never going to fail in this area ever again. Jesus leads them to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 through 5. His appearance changed dramatically. He turned into his heavenly body. The, the, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. Watch. His face shone with heavenly glory like the sun. His clothing became white as light. Moses, who had been dead for 1,400 years, shows up from heaven. Elijah, who's been dead for 800 years, is there. They're talking with Jesus about his exodus and ascending into heaven after he raises from the dead. And Peter thought, I should say something right now. What should I say in this moment? You know what? It's a good thing I'm here. Make sure it's written down in the Gospels and everybody knows I was here for this event. While he's still talking, while the words are still coming out of his mouth, while he's still speaking, God the Father, the creator of the universe, had to interrupt him and say, this is my beloved son. Shut up, Peter, and listen to him. Just be quiet. Can't you just one time in one moment of supernatural miracles shut your mouth and listen? So Peter said, you know what? I'm never going to talk again. This is it. I'm done. I'm not going to fail. John 13, 5 through 8. <laughs> Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. No one speaks except for you will never wash my feet, Jesus. I've thought about this. I've got it down. I'm not going to let you do it. It's never going to happen. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, wash my feet, my hands, my head, my nose, my ears. Just do it all right now. <laughs> do you see what kind of person we're dealing with here, right? Okay. Have you ever said, you know what, I'll never do it again? You ever said that before? God, if you do this for me, I'll never miss church again. Anything like that? If you'll answer this miracle, God, from this point on, I'm not going to fall in this area. I'm done. I'm going to live right. I'm going to do right. It's not going to happen again. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said, all of you will fall away tonight. Now, first, this is God incarnate saying all. Everybody say the word all. 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 Then he quotes scripture, for it is written. It's already in the Bible. It is already in the Bible. It's a messianic prophecy. It's already there. I'm going to quote the Bible. It's already written. It's, already, it's not going to change. It's already there. And the Jews, they knew this. Peter knows this scripture. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 33, Peter replied, if everyone in the whole world falls away, I will never. I will never fall away. Then the third time, Jesus said, the night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter said again, it's all, listen, God said it, the scripture said it, 
Jesus told him exactly how it's going to happen. And Peter said, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. They arrested Jesus. The first thing they did was they, they blindfolded him. And they started spitting on him and beating him. Blood's pouring down his face. His body's getting bruised. Peter's watching all of this take place from a distance. And this lady points at Peter in the crowd and says, you're, you're one of his disciples. I've seen you with him. Peter says, no, no, I don't know him. I, I don't, I've never seen him before. A second time she says it, no, I know. I've seen you with him. I do not know the man. I've never been around him. At that point, they take the blindfold off of Jesus. Blood still pouring down his face. Now, we've all done things that are horrible. I don't think any of us have actually ever failed this bad, and I'm going to prove it to you in a second. But imagine, and we know God sees everything, but imagine the worst failure of your life and Jesus looks directly at you while you're in the process of doing it. The lady says more emphatically than ever, I know you are one of his friends. Peter starts cussing and screaming. I blankety blank don't know him. I've never seen him. I'm not his friend. I have nothing to do with him. In Luke 22, 61, it says, just then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. If there was ever a time Jesus Christ needed a friend, it was in that one moment. If there was ever a time he needed a human being to do the right thing, in all of history, it was in that one moment. Somebody to say, I love you, I'm on your side, I need you. I'm your friend, I got your back. If there was ever a time and Peter was given the chance and he failed miserably. Peter watched them nail Jesus to the cross. He never got a chance to say, I'm sorry. Never got a chance to say, next time I'll be there for you. Can you imagine the guilt? If there was anyone that God would be mad at, I think it would be Peter. Jesus rises from the dead three days later. The angel appears to Mary like we talked about earlier. And the angel says something very significant in Mark 16, 7. Jesus is risen. Now go tell his disciples and especially Peter. Out of all the people in the world that God could specifically point out in this, this, this universal point in history, he specifically mentions Peter. I can picture the disciples in a room somewhere and they're kind of thinking, what are we going to do? They're sitting at a table, putting their heads together, strategizing. Peter's on the ground in the corner crying. They're saying, what's wrong? He says, I'm not even going to tell you. Not, no, Peter, what's wrong? Nope, nope, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. Mary comes bursting in the room. He's alive. He's risen. Everything he says is true. And he said, especially tell you, Peter. Tell me. He mentioned me. Yeah, the angel said he wanted you to know. Your name was mentioned. That was Jesus saying, Peter, I'm not mad at you. That's not the kind of God I am. I'm in love with you. Amen. There's always another chance. Always. The biggest failure of your life is forgiven. It's done. Do you know the story of um, Rachel Smith? She was Miss America several years ago. And when she won Miss America, she traveled around the world uh, feeding orphans especially in Africa. She loved what she did. Uh, later in the year, she competed in the Miss Universe pageant. The Miss Universe pageant is live. The entire world is watching. And she walks out on the evening gown portion 
and she loses her footing and falls flat on her butt in front of the whole world. The audience was not forgiving. They began to boo and hiss. If you see the video, they're booing so loud, you can't even hear the announcer on the microphone speaking. That's how loud they're booing. She was humiliated. In spite of her fall, she made it into the top five of the Miss Universe that year. And the next 20 minutes later is the question portion of the evening. You know, the judges write them randomly. They put them in a bowl, and you just kind of pull out a question. Well, the question she got asked was this. If you could redo any moment of your life over again, (laughs) what moment would that be? (laughs) Every one of us in this room would say, you know what? I would like the biggest fall of my life. I'd like to redo that and not fall this time. She took that question and she put a different spin on it. She said, if I could redo anything, I'd like to go back to Africa and help the orphans all over again and play with the kids and meet them just like I did before. She chose to remember a time in life not where she was humiliated or shamed or embarrassed, but a time where she actually did the right thing. Because reliving the past It'll keep you in the past. You'll always stay down if you're focused on your sin. You'll always get up if you're focused on the cross. So when people do wrong, don't keep them down there. You want them to stay focused on their sin or do you want them to get back up and focus on Jesus? Because you can't do both. You can't do both. So Jesus rose from the dead and when he met with um, Peter in John 21, 15, he asked Peter a question. He said, do you love me? Peter said, well, you know I love you, Lord. He asked him a second time. Then a third time in verse 17, do you love me? This time Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Here's what I want to teach you. God never asks a question in order to learn something. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God asks us questions for us to learn something. It's a counseling move. If you're ever counseling your children, teenagers, anybody, instead of telling them you're doing this wrong, doing this right, You ask them, what were you feeling in this moment? What led up to this? What choices do you think you could make different? You force them to think about it and then um, articulate or speak out or verbalize what they're processing. And there's a 90% chance that will get inside of them and change them. But when you tell someone what they're doing wrong, there's like a 10% chance they'll receive that. And so God asks questions so that we think. When God asked Adam in the garden, where are you? God already knew where he was. He wanted Adam to think and say, wait a minute, I'm hiding in sin and shame. I'm afraid of you. He wanted him to to realize what was going on. So when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus already knew that Peter loved him. He was saying, Peter, do you know you love me? In other words, do you know even though you failed miserably, it's not because you don't love me, it's because you're a human. Because everyone in this room, we've all denied Jesus in word or deed since we've been saved someplace, somehow. We've denied him at school. We've denied him at work. We've denied him in a hotel room. We've denied him online. But don't let the enemy tell you, well, you're not saved. You don't love Jesus. You just blew it like Peter. You still love him. You just have to realize that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, okay. Um, If Peter had not realized, you know what, I do love Jesus. And he he loves me. We're, We're okay. I just messed up. He would have not become the greatest pastor in the entire Bible. Acts 2.41 says, many believe Peter's message. That day, 3,000 souls were baptized. Here's why. Because he didn't stay down. Because he got back up. And listen, he got back up a lot. 
Peter got, let me say it this way, Peter fell a lot, even after great things like this. Okay, point number three, and we're done. Jesus loves unbelievers. I know you think he loves the Christians. Listen, he loves the unbelievers just the same. We'll talk about Thomas. After the angel told Mary and then Peter, word got out Jesus was alive. Everybody was excited except for one disciple. John 20, 25, he said, Unless I see, unless my questions are answered, unless Jesus shows up, unless I see the nail scars in his hands and touch the side where his spear went, I will never believe. Thomas spent time with Jesus just like everybody else had done. You might say this way, he went to church just like the rest of his family. He went to Sunday school, children's church, he did vacation Bible school, he memorized the scriptures. He wanted to believe, but his mind was filled with doubts. He wanted to have the faith of the people sitting around him, but he had all these questions going on on the inside. A week later, the disciples are locked in the upper room. Jesus comes walking through the walls And the first person Jesus went to was not Matthew. Matthew, I'm so proud of you for being faithful and never giving up. He didn't go to John. John, you know that you just love me so much and you've just remained and I just, I am so proud of you. The Bible says in John 25, 27, Jesus focused his attention on Thomas and said, okay, you want to believe? I'll do it. Look at the nail prints in my hands. Reach out and touch my side. Jesus did not go to the people in the room who had faith. He went to the people in the room who had doubt. And we think if Jesus showed up here incarnate, he'd come up on stage. John Paul, so proud. Elders, y'all just stay so faithful. All prayer partners, you're always just full of the word. He loves us so much, and he wants us to be with him so bad, he'll go to every person in this room who does not believe. That's amazing to me. I wish we could get our our heads and our hearts around stuff like that. Jesus is so loving that even in our sin, our failures, and our unbelief, he pursues us. Um, I want to close with a fictitious story. It's my favorite child book. Um, I have like dozens of copies of it. It's called The Story of Three Trees. It's about an olive tree, an oak tree, and a pine tree. All three trees, they had these great dreams of being used by God in some miraculous way. The olive tree, his dream was to be used in the craftings of a treasure chest. He wanted to hold uh, precious rubies and silver and gold. And The woodsman came along and cut him down. He was so excited. As they started working on him, he quickly discovered they weren't turning him into a treasure chest. They were turning him into a trough, something that holds food and water for dirty, smelly animals. His heart was broken. His dreams were shattered. Next was the oak tree. The oak tree had the dream of being used in the makings of a huge sailing vessel. He wanted to carry kings and important people across the ocean from one end of the earth to the other. The woodsman came along and cut him down. He, too, was very excited. But after about a week or two, uh, he realized they weren't turning him into a huge sailing vessel. They were turning him into a fishing boat. To be used in ponds and lakes and little places like that. His dreams were also shattered. His heart was broken. Finally was the pine tree. The pine tree lived on top of this great big mountain. And he was actually living out his dream. Which was to stand tall and always point people to the glory of God. 
But in a split second, a burst of lightning shattered his dreams. He came tumbling down the mountain. The woodsman came along and just threw him into a pile of old scrap wood. All three trees felt dejected. They felt worthless like they had no value. Their dreams had not come to pass, but God always has another plan. A few years went by, this young teenage couple, they were married. They were pregnant with their first child, and they couldn't find anywhere to have their baby. They ended up in a stable with a bunch of animals. It was Mary and Joseph. She gave birth to her baby Jesus. She looked around for a crib. There was nothing there. All they could find was a trough. They cleaned it out, put Jesus in it. It was the olive tree. His dream was to hold precious jewels. He ended up holding the most greatest treasure of all time. Jesus grew up, and he was looking for a boat one day. He needed to go across a lake, preach a message, save thousands, deliver, heal, do miracle after miracle. He was looking around. He didn't get in some huge sailing vessel. No, he found an old fishing boat. It was the oak tree. His dream was to carry kings across the ocean, but he ended up carrying the king of kings. A few years went by, and the Roman soldiers came to that old pile of scrap wood where the discarded pine tree lay. He thought for sure they're going to cut him up and throw him into some firewood. They did cut him. They cut him into two very distinct pieces that formed a cross. Jesus was crucified on that pine tree. And to this day, that once discarded tree still points people to the glory and the goodness of God. Listen, if Jesus loves the prostitute Mary, if he loves and used and called the failure Peter, and if he pursued the unbeliever Thomas, and he chose them to be his disciples, knowing what they would do even after they got saved, then surely you can believe that Jesus loves you. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It is Easter Sunday, and I am going to give you a chance to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. In our first service, about 50 people made that decision. Maybe what's been holding you back is the sin. And you think, you know what? Uh, once I get better, then I'm going to give my life to Jesus, invite him into my heart. Maybe it's the failure over and over and over again. If I could just fix this one area. Maybe you have questions and you've had them for years and they're not getting answered and you think, I just don't know. My encouragement today is don't let any of that stop you. I'm going to ask you a question. If you say yes to it, I want you to raise your hand to listen. God is going to save you before your hand goes up in the air. Because it is His grace and not your works. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing you have to do and there's nothing you can do but believe. Then it's his responsibility to come inside and change you. It's your responsibility to have a relationship and spend time with him. The reason I ask you to raise your hand is because that is a fruit of salvation. The Bible says, if you deny me for men, I'll deny you for my Father in heaven. If not, I won't. In other words, if you're saved, it's a, you don't mind raising your hand. So if you're here today, and on this Easter Sunday, 2023, 
you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, can you lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? And every hand that's up, all 50, 60 hands, 70 hands that's up, you were already saved before your hand went in the air. Lord, thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for what you're going to continue to do. Remind us when we leave here, the reason we're giving our life to you is because we're not perfect. The reason we're going to stay in relationship with you is because we're not perfect. The raising of our hands does not perfect our flesh. It perfects our spirit. So we thank you, Lord, that every hand up is now the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And nothing they can do can change that because nothing they did made that but believe. So, Lord, I thank you right now for every believer inside of this room. I thank you that this is the day that will forever change the course of their destiny, their life, and their eternity. And I thank you, Lord, that the choice was made <laughs> for you to be the Lord of their life for now and forever. I rebuke the enemy's thoughts. I rebuke the enemy's thoughts of this is just emotions. I rebuke the enemy's thoughts of, well, after you make a mistake, you're not saved. I rebuke the enemy's thoughts of Jesus doesn't love you because of what you've done. I rebuke all of that. I send it back to hell where it belongs. And I thank you, Lord, for your saving grace that is eternal, lasts forever. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for doing what only you can do, and that is saving our sorry souls. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen, amen and amen.